from American Awakening, this is Signs of Life. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. We are back with American Awakening, our formerly known as Signs of Life crew. Now we are just full on American Awakening. That's the name of who we are. It's the name of our movement. There should be no confusion about that. So welcome, everyone. As you can see, we are without JK today. Uh, He's off doing other things. We wish him well, and we can't wait till our next episode when he's back. Until then, uh, we're here today with an episode. Our theme is called, What Should We Leave Behind? But before we get into any more of our topics for the day, JBJ, welcome back. What you got for us today? For my good, he's intentional, never failing. All things working for my good, he's intentional, never failing. All things working for my good, all things working for my good, all things. Working for my good. Oh, all things are working for my good. Sing it.
me He's intentional Never feeling That's right, all things We're working for our good That's right, God is intentional Thank you, again, remember guys God is for you God is with you We're here to remind you that every time we're on the air That no matter what's going on around us uh, God's been here before God's intentional God's working all things for your good And we're going to figure this out We're going to be all right As Prophet Kendrick Lamar says We're going to be all right And with that Pastor Joel What do you have for us today? All right, all right Bringing your daily dose today A little bit of truth and light and life And hopefully some encouragement today I've been rereading The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. This book was written in 1948 when Tozer was in ministry in Chicago. And Tozer never completed high school, let alone college. He was a guy who was really self-taught. and He ran hard after the things of God, and he was really self-educated in many ways. He was very well-read, but it was not a drive for fame or wealth or prestige or achievement that drove Tozer. It was a simple hunger to know God more deeply by understanding his world and the things that happen around him. And it is that drive and love for God that really comes out in Tozer's book. And so I want to read a little passage from his book to hopefully give you some encouragement and also some challenge, because I think we're in a time right now, Tozer was writing post-World War II, and he was kind of calling out something about the age in that time. And I think he may have been onto something that was just beginning in that moment and that may actually be coming to an end now. So think about that as you listen to the ways that Tozer calls us to go hard after God. Here's the quote. I want to deliberately encourage this mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought us to our present lowest state. The stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us, he waits so long, so very long in vain. Every age has its own characteristics. Right now, we are in an age of religious complexity. The simplicity, which is in Christ, is rarely found among us. In its stead are programs, methods, organizations, and a world of nervous activities which occupy time and attention but can never satisfy the longing of the heart. The shallowness of our inner experience, the hollowness of our worship, and that servile imitation of the world which marks our promotional methods all testify that we in this day know God only imperfectly and the peace of God scarcely at all. If we would find God amid all the religious externals, we must first determine to find him and then proceed in the way of simplicity. Now, as always, God discovers himself to babes and hides himself in thick darkness from wise and the prudent. We must simplify our approach to him. We must strip down to essentials, and they will be found to be blessedly few. We must put away all effort to impress and come to the guileless candor of childhood. If we do this, without doubt, God will quickly respond. And so this week and today, let us pursue God with simple determination and hunger, passionate for his true presence and his power to transform us. And that's your Daily Dose. Back to you, Marissa. Thank you so much, Pastor Joel. That's good. That's a good word for now. What was running through your head with that again as you were, because I know you always work to bring us stuff that's very timely. Just so you all know, Pastor Joel does not sit on stuff and like he's giving you something that he wrote three weeks ago. That's not Pastor Joel. He's in the moment. <laughs> he's in the spirit. So I'm trying, man. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I was really thinking a lot about how 
people are so hungry for something real. And we have that this like long age, especially in America, of like evangelicalism that we've known has kind of been dying off in certain ways over the last, let's call it decade. And that death has kind of been accelerating. But as we talk about a lot here, like certain deaths lead to a new kind of resurrection. And so I'm just wondering what Tozer's calling out there is like, let's get back to the real, real. Let's get back to hard hunger after who God really is. And I think there is that hunger and people are trying to fill that with all kinds of stuff as we always have throughout all of history, right? But right now it seems like we don't need a bunch more religious methods and promotional ideas and like all this kind of religiosity that goes around the kind of Christendom, if you will. We need the real God encountered with us daily and with each other. So that's that's kind of where I was coming from with that. That's good. That's good. That's good. I know that's probably going to circle back in future conversations today. So I'll push on and say, Jeff, what you got for us to chew on today? Yes. Good word, Joel. By the way, I love you. Yeah, Pursuit of God is a phenomenal book. Had a huge impact on my transformation and walk with the Lord, I don't know, a decade or so ago. Fun fact, that book they say was written from a train ride, what, from Chicago to Texas, I think, which is crazy to think that you can write, you know, a timeless, you know, probably million seller book, you know, in like a train ride night or something like that. That's just, that shows you that it really was just probably flowing out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Something to chew on. So I wanted to pick up a, a small thought, but a, a thought that I think I teased out, was it last Friday or last Wednesday? where we talked about kind of this, this I, I use this this phrasing of uh, Jesus, particularly when he was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, was kind of not putting himself against the Old Testament by any means, but he was continuing the legacy of the Old Testament to then kind of have the last word, meaning he was almost dynamically interpreting the legacy of the Old Testament and saying like, and now here is the moment and here is the truth that is the ultimate truth, right? And he says these particular phrases multiple times, I think in what, Matthew 5 or Matthew 6, where he kind of says, you have heard it said, but I say, right? And he says something like that with lust. And he says something like that with enemy love. And that's the one I wanted to think about and talk about for a second is that he says, you have heard it said, right? That an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which is a classic example. And there's some, you know, implications there of what that meant in the, um, you know, ancient Near East and actually was at some level an act of mercy, not an act of revenge by only making it an equal, you know, uh, uh, take back. But Jesus says, but I say, and then he gets into this whole long treatise about enemy love, right? That you turn the other cheek, that you love the other person, that you give them your tunic, you know, and stuff like that. And I just don't think we actually sit in that enough or actually let that impact enough with how we engage with people in front of us. Most Christians just don't obey that verse. It's just pretty simple, right? We, we don't actually love our enemies. We don't actually go the extra mile. We don't actually turn our other cheek physically or metaphorically. Um, and I'm just wondering when the day is going to come when we're actually going to maybe obey that very specific command. And I love to be that Jesus gives us no wiggle room, right? And what I mean by that is like, he specifically is pointing out other ways and other places that you might use to interpret against that. Like, oh, you have heard it said, yes, this is in the text. Yes, this is in the Torah. Yes, this is instruction from Yahweh. Yet now this is the final word because the new human Jesus has showed up in the flesh, right? Then goes to the cross and resurrects and gives us this ability to have new creation and this ability to have a new heart and this ability to love in a very new way. So he kind of just lands the plane. He lands the plane and says, this is it. This is the way to genuinely be human, genuinely follow me. And anything outside of that is a parody or will only create a cycle of either violence, hatred, resentment, or bitterness that will go on forever that we're seeing, obviously, um, at some levels in our country right now. And the way you stop cycles is by radical enemy love. And I might just give you an encouragement too that 
This has been played out historically in the church, you know, in actual real ways and in profound ways for thousands of years of people actually giving up their life, people actually sacrificing their life, people actually turning the other cheek to physical violence. But right now, I think in our culture, we're asked so much less of that and we still don't obey, right? All we're asking, all, like all we have to do in our culture because there's so much polarization is just love someone you disagree with, <laughs> right? And that's almost mm -hmm. like you obeying Matthew 5 because that's so countercultural in our culture today, right? That if you just actually lean in with love and you actually turn the other cheek metaphorically towards someone in our culture, in a conversation, in your neighborhood, man, I think it'll have a profound, profound impact. So that's something to chew on. And man, that text obviously is a lot denser and richer. We'll go a lot of different angles, but just something I was thinking on the last couple of days I wanted to bring to the table. So depending on when you're hearing this or watching this, uh, in the last few days, there was this thing that happened in St. Louis. There was a, a BLM, Black Lives Matter march, and there was this couple that came out of their very large, expensive home, and the husband had an AR and the wife had a gold revolver. I'm not sure what kind of handgun it was, not revolver, handgun. Um, and I saw this and it made me immediately think of what Jeff was just talking about. Like, maybe you have deep disagreement with BLM. Maybe you hate them. Maybe you think they are your enemy. But even if that were the case, and I don't know about these people's faith, so I'm not commenting on their faith in particular. I'm using this as an example of what it would mean to live this out. Like the right response, according to Jesus, would be to walk out there and serve those people, to love them, to give them water, to pray for them. How can I like turn my cheek to you and allow you to abuse me in whatever way your hatred might be coming at me and whatever I think? And yet here we are, like we're in a culture where people, their first response is to bring the guns. And man, I think we just, we need this word really bad right now, Jeff. So thank you for bringing that, man. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think of the story of Jesus, uh, you know, in the garden with Peter and the disciples, like that's a very particular mm -hmm. uh, kind of microcosm of Peter showing the culture's vision of defense, right? Which is cut the soldier's ear off. And yet Jesus literally not only says, not only rebukes him, but then actually heals the enemy's ear, mm -hmm. right? So it actually, he's like, he's actually even restorative in how he says that. That was so wrong. I'm actually going to put it back together, not just leave it on the, the ear on the ground and say that you shouldn't have done that. Like there's, it's so, like his love is so proactive and it actually does heal in the way he, you know, um, lives in a context of his enemies. And I just think, yeah, we, we were missing that for sure. I think that's so right on. And, and at the same time, one of the things I'm going to talk about later today and is, is, is core to the work that we do around polarization is we don't even know who our enemies are. We have a mm. vastly over-exaggerated view yes. of how extreme other groups are to where if we went out and served people instead of showing up with guns, not only is that the right thing to do morally, we might actually find out that we have yeah. more in common with those people. We had in, in, in Maryland this um, pro-gun control rally and then counter-protesters who showed up didn't realize that what they were protesting for the gun control groups was to keep uh, domestic violence, people who'd been convicted of domestic violence from mm -hmm. guns. And the pro-gun guys said, we agree with that. I had no idea. We'll join your side. We're being fed this toxicity. And when we actually get in a relationship, we find out we have fewer enemies than we think. Yeah. Have you guys read Talking to Strangers, Gal Gladwell's new book? Phenomenal book. But he gets into that of like there's and it's kind of haunting of like it's. 99% of enemy moments are actually context, meaning he just says, like, if you were in a different room, in a different space, in a different environment, under different premises with that person, you might be having a beer and just having a conversation about your grandkids or something, not killing them. You know, uh, that's haunting, but it's true. There's, it's sad how so much of that kind of just whips us up into a frenzy. Well, 
Pastor Joel's word ties into this, this whole like, you know, going back to the the real core things, the few core things that really move us and not getting tied up in other things. We're all wishing and hoping and praying that this is a moment that we can sort of stand up in something different, that maybe we could lean into something different, we could go someplace else. But I mean, do we really not know the things that have kept us from going in sort of the right way up to now? Or do we know, and it's just like, this is just who we are. We're not letting this stuff go. I'm not going to let you punk me on the street. I'm not going to let you, you know, slap me across the face. I'm not going to let you do it verbally or physically. I'm not going to turn the other cheek because like, I'm not going to let you do that to me. Why would I let you do that to me? Or, you know, vice versa, something else. I mean, again, there's a whole lot of pride. There's a whole lot of like, I'm grounded in who I am and what I know, and you can't change that. I mean, we there's a there's some like key core reasons. There probably aren't even a lot for why we have not come up into loving one another in real transformative ways up till now. I'm not going to sidetrack the conversation, but I just I, I want us to dig into this because I, I kind of feel like the J.K. role today. Like, how do we make this practical, right? Like, what like what are the real things that are getting in our way from being able to come up? into what we'd hope that we could come up in, in this season, you know? I mean, I think we've all got to kind of take some personal ownership of this, right? Like, what am I doing? What don't I want to let go of that would, you know, maybe it would get me closer to God, but maybe it would also put me underneath somebody's feet right now or something. So I think there's a couple things. One is fear is very real, right? And so a lot of people are operating out of fear in this time. And, and it's that fear oftentimes, as Andrew pointed out, of the unknown, but it's still real fear. Right. It's still real fear. So so I think that's one of the big things. And it's your question, Marissa, like, no, we don't want to lay it down. I mean, nobody wants to lay it down, which is why it's so important, I think, that we just keep telling ourselves and everybody else, like, man, we have got to if we are serious about following Jesus, we have to actually believe that what comes on the other side of following Jesus is the life that is truly life, because otherwise, no, I, why would I lay my stuff down? Why? If there's no nothing better, nothing greater on the other side of laying it down. Like, am I just going to lay it down to lay it down? No. And, and so, but the beauty of the promise of Jesus is that there is something greater. I wouldn't, I'm just, I wouldn't do it if I didn't think there was something on the other side. And I know there is. We just got to call people into that. You know, this is really good. And we should, we should go straight into Andrew's story because this is going to come right back to that passage, Joel, right? Like, do you really believe there's something on the other side? And if so, are you responsible for it? You know, is it up to you to get there? Andrew, what do you got for us? Hey, everyone. So good to be with you. Um, I'm Andrew Hanauer with the One America Movement. And we've been talking about Love Your Neighbor in corona, coronavirus times. And I think um, part of what we're seeing from the virus and from, from the culture we live in and everything we're talking about right now is that we also have to talk about what it means to love your neighbor in a very deeply, seemingly deeply divided society, right, in the midst of, of what's probably the most divisive election, uh, at least since 1860. And I think one of the questions is, we have to understand how polarized psychology works. In other words, what is toxic polarization doing to our brains? And how does that then turn us into um, people who are, who are no longer seeking truth, no longer seeking uh, what I would call the kingdom, but start to be seeking a narrative that just makes our side win and the other side lose? Um, we have partners at an organization called Beyond Conflict that just released a really cool report called America's Divided Mind. And um, one of the things they talk about is, uh, is how polarization literally distorts our brains. So here's the exact quote. 
a core feature of polarized psychology is that it distorts the way the brain processes information about society. So I want to say that again. It distorts, polarization distorts the way the brain processes information about society. So as an example, let's take, let's take coronavirus, right? There's a lot of different ways that the brain does this, but one of the things that it does is it pushes us towards a simple narrative that serves our team. And again, we're very, very good at being loyal members of our group. We're not so good at seeking truth. And so when we fall into this polarized narrative, we look for the information that tells us what we want to believe, and we push away information that might complicate that narrative. So when we look at coronavirus, we've, we've fallen into these very two simple narratives, right? One is that it's not really that bad and that no, you know, masks aren't necessary and that everything's going to be fine. And the other narrative is that it is terrible, everything is horrible, it's getting worse, and you know all the possible solutions involve going as far as possible towards mitigation. There was a um, headline recently that said that the narratives coming out of Fox News early in the pandemic probably cost lives because they convinced people that there was no reason to be concerned about the virus. On the other hand, we have a headline from CNN just yesterday saying that only two states in America are getting better in terms of coronavirus. It's factually not true. There's enormous amounts of evidence, statistical evidence, that shows that a number of states have improved metrics around coronavirus. But that's not an easy headline. That's not a headline that grabs your attention. And so our brains are literally processing this information, not, not in a way that says, what is the truth? How do we find the truth? But rather in a way that says, what feeds this narrative that, that tells me that I'm right and that those people are the problem? And so when we talk about what it is that we need to let go, I think the question we, we need to ask is, are we willing to let go of these narratives that make us feel like we're the good guys, the heroes in a, in a fairy tale, and seek truth, even if that truth is complicated, nuanced, difficult, uh, or are we, will, are we only willing to stick to what makes our, our, our team feel good? And that's where we're at right now in this country, and that's what we got we to grapple with. Mm. Are you saying that you think that we need to choose between our truths and the kingdom. Is that the is that the question before us now? You think in this time? I think that what we have to recognize is that we're we're living in a country in a system that is pushing us into these distorted views of the world, and that and that if we go full into that, we are going the opposite direction of the kingdom. Because we are entering into a place where ultimately those people have to go. Those people are the problem. Violence against those people is going to become okay. And that is all totally counter to what Jeff was talking about earlier in terms of what Jesus says about loving your enemies. And we have to also remember that like we're all, we're all sinful. We're all broken. And so the idea that we're somehow 100% right about every political belief we held is, is kind, of a, kind of insane when you think about it, right? I mean, the idea that we're wrong about all sorts of things, but suddenly we're right about every interpretation of every headline runs counter to kind of common sense. Can your own truth even be, come in the form of like winning I mean, where like, do we currently operate in a system that is idolized winning to the point where like the tactics used and employed, the rhetoric used and employed have actually focused so much that uh, we've lost sight on on the things we should actually hold dear. I was thinking about it's almost like our, our system currently resembles that of like legitimate warfare. And, and I think of like World War II, right? Like the term Jap was used. 
um, a lot for the enemy in, in the Korean War. It was gook, right? But like again, there there was language rhetoric used ultimately with the goal, and that was actually encouraged within the military, right? To to create a sense of that they were the other to further divide, I guess, our forces and the the enemy forces, and so which would ultimately dehumanize them to the point where they're easy to kill, right, and eliminate. And so again, have we also like it feels like we're 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 seeing similar tactics, whether it's through misinformation or whatever it is, employed even politically to to dehumanize the other to the point where, based on your political expression or who you're choosing to vote as a candidate, that you are now unlovable, you are unservable, you are even borderline, you know, perhaps even evil. Like I, that might seem strong, but I wonder if that's that's actually accurate. You know, there there are studies that show. That I think there is a significant segment of the population that actually thinks the other side of the aisle is the problem in this country. Honestly, I think that's a tough thing to wrestle with as believers when the political system that we currently operate in that will go so far for your vote, that will go so far for victory as to degrade and um, dehumanize the value and identity of any individual creates creates a substantial challenge for us, right? That it, when we're, we're called to live in a way that that's actually supposed to value all humanity as, as God's children, that we're called to turn the other cheek and show grace and love, and we're actually called to a radical togetherness. So I, I, I don't know actually how you, those two can even, op, you know, coincide. I think we have a responsibility to uh, to speak truth into that when we hear it, Calvin. Um, if you're a Jesus follower and you hear someone from, particularly from our own side, if you feel like you're, I mean, I don't, I feel homeless politically. I think a lot of us do, but you may, you probably identify with some side or another. And you hear someone who identifies more with you talking about people in that way that dehumanizes them. I think we have to, like, what else are we going to do? You know, unless we're a high level political operative or person, what we can do, though, to get practical is we can say, that's not how I believe we should talk about people. That's not okay. We're not going to dehumanize. I know this person or that person, and we can't talk about them like that. And so I think that's incumbent on us, you know, in terms of how we address the political system. Um, but no doubt, I mean, I lived in the political system for 15 years. It is absolutely built the exact way that you just described it. It is about warfare. It is about winning. And it is about you know, demonizing the other side until you scare them enough uh, to to vote the way you wanted to vote. Well, let's be honest, though. Enough of like the like we shouldn't treat people in a certain way. We shouldn't call people certain names. We shouldn't allow because if we really thought that it wasn't okay, if we really didn't want to be a part of it, we wouldn't. If you don't like Brussels sprouts, you don't have them anywhere near your plate. At, at any meal. And you'll tell people, don't you dare come near me with a Brussels sprout because I'm, I'm allergic. You'll, you'll make up all kinds of things because you don't want to be near it. There's something about the way that we're built where we not only tolerate dehumanization, we do it. We do it to the people closest to us, the people who you should be the kindest, most loving to. We do it. So what is it really that that is rooted in that we can't seem to get away from? Because if we're talking about coming to this new place where maybe we hadn't been before, maybe it's time we can just start being honest. We get something out of dehumanization. We get something out of, of separating people from ourselves. It makes us, it, it makes us feel better. It makes us, I, I don't know what, it, you know, we could probably list off all the things that it does. But I think like if we're going to try to get someplace together, I think we got to be really honest 
about what we stand to gain and how we benefit from the things that we do that really put other people off, put other people down and take away from other people and their lives. Yeah, I mean, that's that's totally right. And I think, you know, we, this is what we train pastors on, train rabbis on, et cetera. You know, the deepest longing of the human heart in many ways is to belong. And so we are desperate to fit into a group. We've even developed instincts that help us stay in groups. We're willing to do a lot of things to stay in groups. We're willing to kill people to stay in groups. Um, and so when you're in a group and your most deepest desire is to not get kicked out of that group, one of the easiest ways to do that is to frame your group as being in opposition to that other group and they're bad and we're good and I'm, I'm a good group member, I'm loyal. That's how tribes you know, formed over the years to, to, to keep people into a community that could protect them from wild animals or from other, other humans. Um, that makes sense evolutionarily or whatever you want to say. But um, in our society today, that is the kind of mentality mindset that can lead to really profoundly disastrous consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to be better than that. We have to be better than just, I want to be in my group and stay in my group. We have to seek truth. We have to seek God. And God is in all of us, not just in any one group. I love how you say that you're training pastors, because one of the things that I'm wondering, as you were talking, I was just thinking to myself, just stepping back, right? Like we have a hard time as people dealing with dualities, like holding multiple things. It's true that at the same time. And I wonder if we have such a problem, at least within our tribe, within Christendom, within Christianity, if we have such a problem with dehumanization because the church as a whole Have we not done a good job in putting our foot down and saying, like, everybody who doesn't agree with us is still just as worthy, is still just as, you know, they they can have rights, they can have love. You don't have to believe like us. You can believe the antithesis of what we believe and we'll still lay down everything for you. You know, I mean, I, I think it's one of these things, right? Like, how can you tell how can you tell one child one thing? And then like, you know, expect that, I don't know, you tell them to behave one way in this area and then you take them someplace else and you expect them to act differently when the situations might not be that different to a child. Maybe it's a bad example. But um, I'm, I'm just wondering if collectively, if part of this reckoning, if part of the way that we're going to become, you know, a different way coming out of this is that maybe we're holding our faith. We should be holding our faith to a higher standard right now and how we talk about people who are outside our tent. So what are you looking for? You know, this question to you and anybody else, if you're looking for people who are owning it, who are saying, man, I am the problem or whatever it is they're saying, what is it that you think that should look like? Cause I, I want to learn. And I think others probably out there listening would love to hear that too. So what do you think on that? What, what are we looking for when we say we got to own the fact that we actually gain something out of the humanizing? Well, I think, for me, it's it's like, you know, you're you're in a relationship with someone and, you know, <laughs> someone has said something to someone else and that person, you know, is is hurt or offended by it. And the person who they think did it to them won't even just say, like, maybe I could have been wrong. It's like if you don't put that out there and you continue to just walk like, of course, everything I said was fine. And you're the one who has the problem with it because you're responding in such and such way. Like you're, you're never going to come together on that. You might coexist. You might, you know, sit side by side. You might drive together in a car, but you, you won't be together, you know. And I think I think this moment of reckoning, what I'm saying is I think it would be probably difficult for a lot of folks in the church to say, you know what? 
Maybe we have a problem demonizing each other because we demonize the mosque down the street. Or like, you know, we, we demonize, you know, the folks in the synagogue because they, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think like just a reckoning that our church is made up of people and that we as people are jacked up. And so anytime we're creating systems and organizations, we're bringing our jacked upness in there. And thank you for grace, Lord. Thank you. But we bring our issues in, you know, hence, you know, why now we can be in the middle of a worldwide reckoning and the church has still has not somehow risen up collectively and said, this is what we will stand for and this is what we won't stand for. Yeah. But like, if you really believed that your life was not your own, that you were bought and paid for at the cross, and when you, you know, invited Christ in, that you gave Christ lordship over your life, you can live in this, you know, body, and you can be walking with God to walk out something, but you don't make your own decisions. You don't decide what's right and wrong. You're not in control of your destiny. You've allowed God to control your destiny. If you could step into that, and even just daily try to re-up into that, I think all of our lives would be different. I think our, our country would be different if we believed that. There is no us and them. We're not even saying this about like you, church. Like we're, we're talking about us, even us six in these squares. Like, like we need a re-up and our prayer needs to be, Lord, there's a very real possibility that I actually haven't even encountered you for real. Yet, as much as I might have gone my entire life growing up in the church and thinking I have, but like if I'm gonna be honest with myself, if I look at like the fruit of my life, it's very possible that I haven't actually encountered you. Because if I had, if I'd even gotten a taste of you, how could my life not be transformed, right, in such a way? And so, if you're listening, this is the prayer for even us six. Like this is and for the church, because we are the body, we are all children, and this this is the prayer even for all of us beyond whether you share our faith or not. Because if we if we can actually encounter him, maybe even for the first time, whether you've been going to church your entire life or not, then yeah, I'm with you, Marissa. Something something would be different. I think that's the that's the hunger. It's like, oh God, help us. You know, like I don't know if I'm there, but I want I know I want something different. I know I want something different. And that is like the nature of the pursuit of God and the longing after God. And that's, you know, that's what we want. That's what we got to have. This is a great point to sort of wrap this up on, Joel. You asked that question earlier, like, what would you want? I think what you just said is like, that's the only thing that you could hope for with somebody, right? Somebody could just be like, I don't know. Maybe I've never seen it. Maybe I've never experienced it. But God, if you got something more, I want more. And really mean that, you know? Hopefully that, you know, hopefully let that be the legacy of this time. That folks of God, folks of faith decided like, you know what, I might not even have, I don't, I might not have a clue where you want us to be, Lord, what you want it to look like. But if you've got it, I want it. And I think also on another level of hope, uh, on a a little bit lower level, but important still is polarization is also, it's toxic, but it's also stupid. And one of the things that came out of that report, America's divided mind is that we think we think the other side hates us way more than they actually do. And when we find out that they don't hate us that much, we actually start to like them more. So one of the most important things is 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 just to actually realize that the other other folks don't hate you as much as you think they do. Um, and then we can start to make progress and get out of this us versus them stuff. Yeah. 
That's huge. That's huge. And I think, you know, I want to speak a minute to like the white evangelical Trump supporters out there because I, you know, I think there is a sense in which that's one of the easiest like boogeymen right now, especially if you're kind of in any other sphere of the Christian world right now who is like maybe either anti-Trump or progressive or whatever. And it's easy to say like, oh, all those people. And it's easy for maybe some folks who are in that space to say, oh, all those people. And so immediately you support Trump you're canceled, you're out. But that's the radical together. Like folks, we gotta figure it out. And I have found that when I actually build relationships with people who disagree with me, particularly on the matter of the president, and we can disagree very strongly, but when I actually get to know them, it is actually true at what Andrew was saying. And then I don't demonize them. I still deeply disagree with them, but I actually would die for them. I actually figure out ways to love them. So man, we, we got to do it, people. We got to figure it out. Do not give up. Well, I want to encourage you guys to uh, come back uh, for our shows later on this week. We know it's a holiday week, so we will have a truncated week, but we will have a good surprise for you on our next show. Um, so come back for that. Uh, again, we're going to be talking about the American Awakening book, digging through some really chewing more on some really key principles um, that are really important in this moment. So don't miss it. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. To break every chain, break every chain. Break every chain sufficient sacrifice So freely given Such a price but our redemption, heaven's great sing.
chain, break every 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 chain. Thank you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in today. We love you guys. We are praying for you guys on our prayer calls in the morning and keeping you in our thoughts and prayers. Have a great day. Remember, God loves you. God's for you. God's with you. And we're all going to make it through this season and come into the place, hopefully, where God would have us be. So take care. Keep fighting the good fight. Have a great day. We'll see you soon. Signs of Life is produced by American Awakening, a campaign for the soul of America committed to slaying the giant of death and despair in this American moment. Signs of Life is made up of Jefferson Bethke, Dan Hazeltine, Josh Jacob, John Kingston, Joel Searby, Calvin Lee, Christian Palacios, Marina Pappas, Andy Peterson, and me, Marissa Prince. The show is produced from our headquarters in Lexington, Massachusetts, and you can learn a whole lot more about the movement by visiting our website, American Awakening. Relevant Podcast Network.